Obviously, the number one thing you need to be successful in this business is deal opportunities, right? You need to be able to see deals on a daily, weekly basis. You need to see a steady pipeline coming in where you can evaluate those deals, pick and choose what are the right fits for your book. And you want that to be reoccurring over a lengthy period of time. And that really helps. You've built trust with different mortgage brokers and different referral sources. People want to work with us. They trust we know how to call a deal and turn it around quickly. And that leads to, that tends to lead to good relationships. So the key is developing, maintaining those past relationships and building on new ones with our broker partners. Thanks for tuning in to the Canadian Private Lenders Podcast, the show about starting a private lender in Canada, the mortgage industry, and the real estate industry. Your hosts are Neil Andrino and Ryan McNeil. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's episode 12, the Canadian Private Lenders Podcast with your hosts, Ryan and Neil. Neil, how you making out, man? Very good, very good. How you doing? Doing well. Rainy, ugly day in Halifax today, but uh, otherwise, uh, it's going okay. I decided to go for a run in it last night. Nice. <laughs> it was just like, depending what street I was on, I was either like getting absolutely obliterated head on, or I was getting like a nice little boost. I also was kind of neat. I'm weird about this stuff, but I came up to like a big tower and like it, you can see it circles, right? Because when it blows past the wind tunnel and then it like circles off the corners. And so going into the corner, I could literally feel it pushing and pulling me from the wind. But anyways, it's it was a, yeah, it was a fun little run. That's cool. Do you enjoy running in the rain or, or other sorts of weather? So it's funny you say that once you get all suited up and you get out there, it's kind of fun sometimes. Like it can be a little annoying, but it's also like just like a whole new element. And you just embrace like as you feel the water seep through your shoes and your feet get wet. And then you're just like, all right, I'm, I'm fully in this now. The only negative I would say is blisters. If you sometimes your feet will blister from the, the wet material or whatever. But yeah, snow, no dice. I'm too nervous the whole time that I'm going to slip and fall. <laughs> Not happening. Yeah, that's honestly why I asked. I'm just curious because I, I don't mind running in the rain, especially if it's, you know, it's, it's half decently warm as well. I take that any day of the week over, you know, a 25, 30 degree yep. day with the sun in your face. Uh, that's not fun. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with you. Like if you're out there, like if you're bundled properly, if it's cold out, the hardest part is just taking the first stride, right? And then yep. once you get going, if you're bundled properly, like, you know, if it's snow and ice, not happening, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't mind some cold or, uh, or some rain. It kind of wakes the body up a little bit. Night running is kind of cool too. Cause you're, I feel like everyone's like, like it's really quiet in the streets and you're kind of just ripping along. Like I'm in a downtown location again. So I'm just kind of going through everything. It's so quiet. It's, it's kind of, it's almost eerie. Yeah. I'm a morning runner myself. Oh. But, uh, I, uh, you know, I should try the nighttime sometime. I think it would be fun. Yeah. My biggest challenge is living in, is the hills, uh, living in Dartmouth. It's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm still nursing my knee back to life here. So I'm going a little slow, but, um, okay. I want to start with one thing. I feel like I'm retracting a statement already. So I mentioned to you before I came on here that I was on a podcast with Rahul this morning. He's a mortgage broker. Yeah. We'll end up going on his podcast together to talk about Keystone. And I've been just reading so much. And I know last time around I was like, 125 points, we're going straight to zero, like interest rates are going to be free. And now I'm sitting here and I'm like, my new conspiracy in my head is 
a couple things actually. There's a bunch of factors. If they cut 25 points off, I think it's going to go like at least Atlantic. I think it's going to go nuts. I think people are going to be just like we're going to zero again. I got to get a house before they're all a million bucks. Like I need to get a house. So I think there's that, and I think when that happens, you're going to start seeing a bit of inflationary upwards inflationary pressure again. And then they might even take back the quarter point that they gave, or at least not race to any more drops. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. The other thing that's happening is obviously bond yields are going down. The values of bonds are going up. I don't know if the government's buying bonds or what exactly. I mean, I think there's also the aspect of in bond investors think that there may have been the, the highest yields that they're going to see for a long time. And so they're locking those in. But I definitely think the government's also pushing on that. And I don't know in what exact manners. I'm by no means extremely educated on this. But my high level take is it's making long-term rates come down. And so for a lot of people coming up to the, a renewal right now, like if in the next six months, if you have a renewal, the five-year rate is going to be the most attractive by a landslide. Like Rahul said, he has approvals that he had 5.9 30 days ago. He just requalified them at 5.1. Like that's 80 bips right off of that. Like that's huge. And that's going to continue. And that's what the government wants ultimately. And that's what BOC is going to want is they want people to take some longer terms, right? Like the US, they say, look, the US was so sheltered from this because so many people are locked into their long terms. And so I think they're trying to get people off of this one-year, two-year mortgage mindset, start taking some five-year money so that there's a bit of stability in the marketplace, and that sub property churns a little bit less. I don't think they want to see people, everyone trying to flip for a quick buck. I think they want to see people secure themselves in an asset because then that also forces new construction. There'll be more new construction because people are going to be staying in their homes. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. My first thought was it's uh, conspiracy. Neil's at it again. Oh yeah, uh, I'm back. I think, I think you're onto something here, Neil. I think you make some good points there. It's funny. I think it was two weeks ago when we we kind of gave our predictions for 2024 where the rate cuts would be, and I think guys said 75 basis points, and you said 125. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> just after we recorded, you know, the news was kind of like, oh, it's going to be 125. It's going to be 150. And I was like, oh, maybe I undershot a bit. And then, yeah. you know, it's reeled back in the last couple of weeks, and it's like, you know, we're going to be lucky to get 75. So it's just all over the place. It's been like that for a while now. Oh yeah. But I do agree with you, at least locally here. As soon as we see a quarter point cut and, you know, you're already seeing it in fixed rates dropping right now, like you mentioned that Rahul had mentioned. So we're going to see a, a, probably a, a busy spring market next year and things may go bananas again. 100%. 100%. So anyways, I'm just putting a little asterisks on there that I may have overshot. But <laughs> it's also none of it is set in stone. And the BOC is also going to be changing exactly what they do as time goes on based on the results that they receive. So anyways. I just want to say that right now to try and cover my ass because when it just only goes down 50 bips the whole year, <laughs> I could say I pulled back. That's your hedge. That's my hedge. Nice. But nice. All right. Should we jump into it, Neil? Yeah. I think today's episode is an exciting one. Yeah. we're It's super exciting. We're going to talk today about how we've grown our private lending business to $5 million yep. and the steps we took to get there. Okay. So... We're going to kind of go back and forth here. Neil, is there anything you wanted to mention off the top or did you want me to kick off? No, I think you uh, you kick it off. Yes, sir. Okay. So we've talked about many of these factors before on this podcast, but you know, just good reminders to go through. And obviously the number one thing you need to be successful in this business is deal opportunities, right? You need to be able to see deals on a daily, weekly basis. You need to see a steady pipeline coming in 
where you can evaluate those deals, pick and choose what are the right fits for your book, where you can get the right pricing, where you can take the appropriate level of risk. And you want that to be reoccurring over a lengthy period of time, ideally indefinitely, so that you can continue to grow that book to the level you want to get to. So how do we do this? So part of it's you know been our relationships we had prior to this business, being around in this business for a while. Neil, yourself, myself, Zach, we've all been yeah. in this industry for a while. And that really helps. You've built trust with different mortgage brokers and different referral sources. People want to work with us. They trust we know how to call a deal and turn it around quickly. And that leads to, that tends to lead to good relationships. So the key is developing, maintaining those past relationships and building on new ones with our broker partners. The thing I want to stress on like what you're saying about having a good volume of deals, because obviously, and I think we've been extremely fortunate because of your guys' connections, partially my connections, that maybe we didn't necessarily feel as fortunate as we should have for the, the sheer volume of deals that have come in. And obviously, there's been pressures on the, on the other side of things that may have taken the focus. But the biggest part of having a ton of volume for deals is that it allows you to be more selective. This is from my perspective, be more selective and keep the risk down. Because if you're only seeing one or two deals and you're like, I got to get this capital out, some shitty deal is going to come and you're going to be like, screw it. Like, I have to take this to try and keep my sales volume up. And you're going to put your money out there and you're taking on a ton of risk. And when you're a brand new business like this, you can't afford that. Even if you physically can and you have the cash, like the, you know, this is not, it's not a prudent business decision. Like it just You're not in this business to lose money. So it's amazing when you can have 10 deals and you know you have enough to fund two or three of them. You can be like, okay, let's grade these. And the top three or top four, we're going to send out offers on or commitments on, right? And try and grab those so we can have really quality deals and really strong book and safe book. Because again, as much as a private lender is taking on riskier deals, and that's kind of part of the game, out of the hop, sub 5 million, sub 25 million, you want to be really, really cautious. Absolutely. You basically took the words out of my mouth there, Neil. I I was just going to say the same thing. If you've got the capital available, but you're only getting, you know, two leads a month, you're going to end up settling on those borderline deals. And Mm -hmm. that in turn, like you said, is going to increase the risk of your portfolio. And that's not how you want to scale a business like this, especially in your early days. Yeah. And I think to to what you said, you said, how do you find those deals? Who brings them in? Brokers. You want brokers. Ultimately, you don't necessarily want a ton of direct deals. That's my opinion, because I feel like you run more risk. Uh, And also, even just me talking to a few clients directly, like the amount of random pieces of paper that they're sending me and like the stories and this and that. I'm like, I wish you would just put this all to a broker and he can put together a package that's nice and clean and succinct and send it over. And they understand what we're looking for as well. But getting in front of as many brokers as you can making sure they get paid well on the deals, making sure that you're good at communicating with them. Well, kind of all those things will combine to make sure that they want to send you the sort the deals. 100%. It's extremely inefficient to have clients coming directly to you, you know, unless they've got, you know, they've done it for 5, 10 years and completely understand the process. Otherwise, it's, you know, by far the, your best option to go through a mortgage broker. They understand how to operate with not just private lenders, but all different lenders. And that's going to be important for the client too, right? You know, whether they're coming to us to secure private funds, that's likely going to be a short period of time, six to 12 months. The broker's actually, you know, probably most important play on a private lending deal is on the back end, is on the refinance of that deal to help you secure that longer term financing that's going to help your property cash flow. Exactly. All right. I think we covered that mostly. Let's jump on to the next one. Easily just as important, Neil. Yeah. Raising capital. Yeah, it's a big, big part of it. 
you can get a bunch of deals, but if you don't have the capital to fund them, they're not really worth anything to you. Additionally, not only are they not worth anything to you, they can become a detractor because if you start turning away deals constantly, people are just going to move on. They're like, okay, these guys just never fund a deal. We're just not even going to bother sending it to you anymore. So it's a very quick way to destroy your pipeline. It's a very exciting prospect. And I'm sure lots of us, if you're in this industry, if you're in banking or real estate, you've come across people who have lots of liquid cash or dry powder, as they call it. And that was a new one for me moving into this. And for Ryan, we've gone to a lot of meetings and just people kept referring to their powder. At first, we're like, keeping it dry. You keep it. <laughs> what was, instead of no to the deal, they're keeping it dry. Yeah. But, uh, Anyways, and for those who don't know, powder is cash. We learned that pretty early on. But um, you want to network, obviously, with people who have lots of accessible cash. And like, there's so many things to learn. I don't even know where to start. But the first one being is you want to, if you need a million bucks from someone, they got to have at least 10, $20 million. No one's going to make a singular investment that's got that kind of cash with it being 50% of their net worth. Nor do you want them to. Exactly. Right. You want to use this as a diversification opportunity, right? Where you're you're already allocated and your 80% of your funds are elsewhere. Yeah. And you want to you know, select some alternative investments for the other 10, 20%. Exactly. Now, the first place you want to try and look for these people is within your networks. Like that is hands down the biggest thing you can do if you already have a relationship with someone or you have an uncle or an aunt or they have a relationship with someone. Try to get semi-warm leads that are coming from people that can vouch for you. Like, hey, we know that Neil or Ryan is good at what they do. They have some experience. Would you mind having a conversation with them? They have an offering for you. That's like the best thing that you can get. We've been fortunate to be able to have a network. I would say Ryan has a great network. I've been trying to lean on my network. Some of the avenues that I face as challenges was a lot of the people that I was leaning on are also in the real estate industry. And so they tend to want to do a lot of direct lending. They have personal exposure to it, or they're already invested in a lot of other real estate-based assets. So an additional real estate-based asset for them is not of interest. So I learned alternative industries are a really great place because people look at it and like, oh yeah, if I'm in oil and gas or if I'm in mining or whatever it is, this gives me that exposure to real estate. I don't really have to do much work. I kind of like this. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah, completely agree. Just some other quick points I'll make there, Neil. Yeah. You touched on it already, but you know, if you don't have capital, people aren't going to send you deals. It's a huge reputational risk to yeah. your business. You know, if you start accepting pipelines and committing to doing deals and then you're not able to fund them or you got to delay three, four weeks, you're not going to last very long as a private lender. 100%. The other thing is, is that, you know, one thing we've learned too is that this is really, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. You need to really yeah. expand your network as much as possible to be successful in raising capital. So one thing that we've learned that we like to do as well is to ask for leads for potential investors as well from every touch point you have, whether that's other investors you have in your network already, your friends and family, mortgage brokers, anybody in your circle of influence. If yeah. you're talking to them about what you do, what your business does, ask for potential leads because you never know what might come out of it. Yeah, 100%. I'd say the greatest challenge in being small and asking people for capital, a lot of these guys who have capital want equity. <laughs> there is a lot of people who are like, we can eliminate your capital concerns for the rest of time or foreseeable future, but we also want to own a big part of your business. And so something you have to consider, if you're a smaller independent operator, that might be a fit for you. But it's it's something that's definitely, I'll say as an option, there are a lot of parties that are interested in taking an equity piece on top of seeing a return, a direct return on their capital. 
Yeah, great point, Neil. I, I know some people who operate their private funds this way, and you know that works perfectly well for them. Yeah. For others, and similar to us, like we're offering an immediate strong return, right? So yep. you don't always get that with investments where equity might be offered, where you're kind of making a long-term play. You're getting an immediate return on your investment here. So that's kind of the conversation you need to have to keep that equity close. If, if <laughs> They can keep their powder dry. <laughs> 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 Anything else on uh, raising funds, Neil? No, I think you mentioned it there. It's like you said, it's a numbers game. I think it's also you got to keep your head up. You can't be getting discouraged. It's like anything in sales. Well, probably 95% of people are going to say no. It can be a lot of pushing and chasing and constant follow-up. But it, kind of the high of when you do land something makes it all worth it. And ultimately, it's your business and you want to see your business succeed and grow. So it's it's fun. It's exciting. And I think the better thing to consider usually is it gets a little easier as time goes on because you have a bigger base of investors. You have a bit of a reputation. The brand name t- tends to grow. So I'd say the zero to five is probably going to probably the hardest. Or zero to 10 is probably the hardest window. And from there, hopefully it gets a little easier. Yeah. You can only get beaten up so much with uh, being rejected and then being told no so many times. And then it just starts to become the norm and you, you get used <laughs> to it. And you just keep pushing through, right? Someone says yes, and you're like, wait, wait, what? what? (laughs) (laughs) You sure? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good stuff. All right, moving right along. Okay, so another big piece here. So we talked about building your pipeline for your network and referral sources. We talked about raising capital. Next up, social media. Okay, Mm. so huge piece of the puzzle these days, building your brand presence. Often, you know, people are, that's the first place they're going to look is maybe a website and social media to see how credible you are as a brand. We use social media to educate not only brokers, but potential clients as well and other people in the industry. And a lot of realtors follow us on social media, Neil, through your network. And it's been very helpful for us in in building that trust, right? Building that brand, like I mentioned, and it's really free marketing at the end of the day. The only thing you put into this is your time. Yep. But if you think about it, you know, if you're putting out 30 second, one, two minute long videos, you're just putting that out there once, right? And, and countless people are watching it. Hundreds of people are seeing that right over a period of time. You can really recycle that over a long period of time. So, you know, a lot of people are kind of nervous to get out and put themselves out there through social media. But this is really low hanging fruit from my perspective. Yeah, I agree. One thousand percent. I actually talked about this again this morning. Social media has a bunch of avenues. I think the first thing I want to say is I think a lot of people are concerned that it almost is like it removes a credibility factor. And I think it's become quite the opposite. I mean, it depends how you do it. But in general, it's very much a norm now. People respect it. And if you're putting out high quality educational content, people actually appreciate it. A lot of the people want to be able to just consume something quickly and they like gaining a little bit of knowledge in, in their time on social media. And like you said, it's something that you can reuse, recycle, and get you in front of a ton of people that you may not be able to see in that short window. And you think the average reel gets two, 3,000 views to get in front of 3,000 people, even if they're potential investors or borrowers, like that would take for like a very long, very long period of time. So it's a great way to get recognition. The other importance is, is it does become a bit of a resume in today's day and age. It's uh, a website is like a mandatory and it has been for 20 years. This is now in today's market also a mandatory item to have because people want to be able to look into it and i see it help with so many different things whether it's getting approved to borrow money or getting more leads for people borrowing money even i see in my day-to-day life like if i'm leasing a space or i'm going to buy something people automatically qualify and trust me because they feel like they've had interactions and so 
again, I, I can't recommend enough to people that's a great way to get out there. And then you also get people that are reach out. So you may be able to share like, if you're having an issue with something, someone who listens or watches or sees it, a lot of people like to reach out and say, hey, like I can help you with that. Or this was my experience. So it, I'm a huge fan of it. You build the brand. Even if it's not your favorite thing in the world, just break the ice, get the content done and, and get it out there. Yeah, completely agree, Neil. I, I, you know, it's not going anywhere, right? Like it's only no. going to become more and more important over time in, in, the, in the digital world. So I think, you know, the longer you wait, you know, the harder it is to jump into it. Yeah. I'll just make another quick comment there. I was talking to my, um, my business coach today and uh, he's got quite a big presence on LinkedIn. He sends out daily posts and videos on LinkedIn, very insightful. And one key takeaway I got from him too, he's like, don't worry about the likes and comments that you do or don't get on a given post. He said, he's got people coming up to him constantly that he never has touch points with, never like his post, never comment on him and just say how much they've gained from the insight he puts out there in a, in a mm-hmm. 30 second or one mm-hmm. minute thing. And, I, and I've even heard that a little bit too. And I'm sure you have as well, Neil, people that you may have met once or twice, or you, it's your first time meeting them and they feel like they know you and trust you because of the content you've put out there. It's insane. It's insane. I think, yeah, I don't know. People are, are like, like are apprehensive to like certain things or comment on certain things, but people retain and take in so much of it. And I see this now and it's blown my mind because I paused with podcasting for a few months and the amount of people that have come out of the woodwork in so many different industries and places that are like, man, I listen to that every single day. And I, I was like, what? And like, I gained so much insight. And I'm like, how come you never liked or they don't follow me or whatever? And I was like, you don't follow, but you go and look and watch all this stuff and you're searching up the page consistently. And so you got to break the ice. And you got to do it. I think in, one thing I'd say is if you can put a brand on it, maybe it's separate from you personally, people might feel a bit more inclined to engage a little bit and feel a little bit less. But that's just something I saw with with our podcast where the podcast page did really well, but our personal pages didn't have a huge bump. Yep. Yep. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I think we covered that pretty well, Neil. So, and, and we're, we're kind of getting up against it here. So let's wrap up with the last point here. Yep. And very straightforward networking events, right? So you really need to have presence in this industry. You need people yep. to see you. You need to be out talking to people and you need to be building your network. We've touched on this multiple times already. Yep. So you want to just keep showing up to build and maintain those relationships that you have or can have in the future. Yep. And any opportunity you get to get out there in front of people, let them know what you do, yep. build that relationship is not going to be wasted. None at all. I will add on that. I saw it firsthand with, we went to a couple mortgage events and just like the next three days, it was just like, deal, 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 deal. And I saw the names and like, oh, we met them. We met them. Well, you guys already knew a lot of them. But for me, I was like, I just met them. I just met them. And they were like, it just put us top of mind again, right? They were like, I remember we were staying at the booth and they kept coming over and being like, I got two deals to send over. I got three deals to send over. And then they would, they would the next day. They're like, we got to get those out to you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Great point, Neil. And, and it's especially important in the private lending space where it likely only represents 10 to 20% of a given broker's book, right? So sometimes mm-hmm. it'll get deprioritized on the desk, yep. but when you're there and you remind them that you're there and what you do, they're much more likely to send you that note later that day or the next day. And then you have another potential deal or two to review. Exactly. Continue building that pipeline, coming full circle. 100%. And then, yeah, exactly. Just general networking for the, the business is so important. But yeah. Absolutely. No, this this was a quick one, but like super valuable information. I feel like we should be doing these every 5 million or something. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's kind of cool to celebrate the milestones. And yeah, I also just want to touch on, Neil, I just want to give a quick shout out to all of our referral sources to this point who have supported us. Yep. We're our first year in the business is now complete. And we're extremely thankful for the supporters on the investor side, the broker side, even the clients who have uh, entrusted us as well. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. Second, I say shout out to the investors. You guys make it possible. And then same with all the brokers sending over tons of deals. It's been tremendous. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace. Hey guys, it's Neil Andrino, your uh, co-host and your co-founder at Keystone Capital and Director of Investor Relations. I'm also a real estate agent, real estate investor, and business owner. And your co-host here, Ryan McNeil. I'm the co-founder and president of Keystone Capital Group. Keystone Capital Group is licensed under the Mortgage Regulations Act of Nova Scotia, license number 3000549, and through FCMB, license number 88799. And keep in mind, the views of this podcast are for informational purposes only and is not financial advice.